This is Channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. My mistake early on with the choir was assuming that I was serving people when instead it's really that I have the opportunity to bring resources together so that we can work together, work Mm -hmm. with people in the community. And since we've uh, adjusted that mindset, it's been profound. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Give me the mic. Give me the mic. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Diane Tilstra, and I've worked with nonprofit organizations throughout my career. So I'm here today to give me the mic because I'm concerned about how the pandemic is impacting our nonprofit organizations in our community. So joining me today is Marian Barnett. She's the CEO of the YWCA of Pierce County and Erin Gwinnett, the Artistic and Executive Director of the Tacoma Refugee Choir. I wanna thank you both for joining me today uh, to share how you and your organizations are faring since the shutdown for COVID-19 happened in March of this year. And for complete transparency, I work with Erin as her operations manager. So uh, let's start with you, Miriam. How's your organization pivoting to provide services? So it's uh, it's been rough, <laughs> but we're making it work. Um, it's been a lot of pivoting. I, I often say that uh, there are days that you just feel dizzy from it, um, but, with domestic violence, it's not going to stop. In fact, it's picking up. It's getting worse. So we just had to think on our feet as fast as we could. Our shelter, we'll start with our shelter, has never missed a beat. Um, we change a few protocols to keep our clients and our staff safe. Um, but in our shelter, everyone has their own apartment. So that's a huge blessing because they could isolate in place. The only changes we had to make is that the food bank, the laundry room, and the play yard uh, now are one family per uh, visit and then um, completely sanitized afterwards. So a little bit additional work for staff. We actually added a staff position just to help with that additional um, sanitation and protocols. Mm-hmm. But we have kept COVID out of our shelter. So it's working and I, I'm thinking we'll get flu the, get through the flu season better as well <laughs> as a result of these new protocols. Our legal program, which uh, we serve over a thousand clients every year, uh, we pivoted that program um, very quickly, still in March, to uh, the legal advocates all working from their homes. We got them cell phones so they don't have to worry about privacy issues, confidentiality issues, and they continued on their way uh, meeting clients' needs. The program got so busy, though, that um, we had to shut it down to new clients for a while, 
um, because there's only so many caseloads that an advocate can take in that program without burning out, which we don't want them to do. So, and it's a lot. It's, I think it's 48 caseloads per advocate. Mm. When they all got to that number, we had to shut down for a while. But now due to COVID, some special funding that's become available, I cobbled together some different sources to create a new position. And so we now have an additional staff in that program and we're back open. So that's, that's good. Counseling, it took a while, but we found a confidential platform. Zoom is not confidential, <laughs> FYI, but we found one that works so that our counseling clients can continue seeing their therapist here. And then the hardest hit, uh, our support groups recently started up, so that took a while longer to find a confidential platform that can take handle a lot of people. But the program that's hurting the most is our children's program. Mm. That is truly a face-to-face -face program. Children who have suffered trauma, they need that. They need that support from a loving adult uh, in person, and we're just not able to provide that right now. So we are doing other, uh, what we can with providing activities for them in the shelter, activity packets, mm. and um, uh, help getting set up to do, you know, learning from home. We provided, we got funding, COVID funding again, to increase our Wi-Fi capacity in the shelter so that all of our kids, we have over 60 kids in the shelter, could actually go to school from the shelter. And also we had to be able to provide tablets for them. They didn't, they didn't you know, come fleeing a domestic violence situation with tablets in hand. So, um, so everything except our children's program is pretty much back to how it is. It's just mostly all virtual. Wow, thank you so much, Miriam. I can just imagine uh, that this is just a day-to-day -day event, isn't it? Yeah, let me add one other thing. We have a 24-7 crisis line yep. that anyone can call. Anybody who's in a domestic violence situation, anybody who loves someone in a domestic violence situation that doesn't know what to do. And that line went pretty radio silent. Has it did across the country, even with the national hotline, when the stay-at-home mandate first started? Because now victims didn't have any opportunity to get away from their abuser to make that call. Yeah. And what happened, though, is after a couple of weeks, the phone started ringing in the middle of the night. So they victims got very creative about when to call and they would call when their abusers were asleep. So that was an adjustment too for our staff that work in the middle of the night. They weren't used to those phones ringing like they started ringing during the stay at home. That's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. But thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to move to Aaron now. And Erin, uh, why don't you let us know how the refugee choir is pivoting to be able to cope with this pandemic? Yeah, well, as you can imagine, um, it's really hard to sing together when you're not together. And so that has required an immense amount of creativity to figure out how to continue our programming. But that's precisely what we did. One week into the pandemic, I said, let's jump, hop on Zoom. And we um, started figuring out how to sing on this platform. Um, because of technical latency, you can't sing even together. And so we've uh, come up with creative ways to um still create a strong sense of community and to sing together, but maybe not hear each other. And that's a very um, different experience to not hear one another. Um, but we're using some technology to um, sometimes we'll use tracks and other things. And you, in some ways that might sound like it's not very rewarding. And in some ways it, you don't get the same musical reward. However, the stories that have been told in that circle have been profound in some ways more profound than what we were experiencing in person because um, 
there aren't a lot of other outlets to share the experiences you're having when someone's facing direct um, racism acts or feeling um, deeply discouraged or worried about people in their home country or just the loss of family members and people who have family who've been infected by COVID and being very scared, just all these experiences to be able to share them together and then to sing a song that summarizes that experience is very moving. Um, and it's uh, it's been really rewarding to see people adapt to a, a platform that was not designed for singing and to feel like this is actually, this is actually working. And in a way, because people were our members were willing to be brave and to accept what doesn't feel normal. We've actually, we're actually growing. Um, we've expanded a program um, with Tacoma school district. We're partnering with them to provide uh, a once a week choir and we're four weeks into that program and to have students turn on their cameras, which if, if you've heard of, from teachers, they're not turning on, the students aren't turning on their cameras, but students are starting to turn on their cameras and to sing and dance with us. And they are, one of the students said, thank you for helping me feel seen. Like that is everything, to feel seen and to, to feel like you matter in that moment, because that's what I'm most worried about with youth is not is not feeling seen and not feeling like your work matters. Um, we've also made a music video. Um, it was based on an experience of um, two of our members um, hearing um, anti-Asian slurs. Um, we did a, um, a music video called Love Letters, which invited members of the community to um, share that they would be a safe place and welcoming space um, for refugees in our community. And we've, um, been putting together some really unique programs. I think one of the one we're working on right now that I'm super excited about is we got a grant from the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department to um, create three music videos about wearing masks and other um, uh, public health messaging to help keep us safe. And so those will be coming out in November and December. Right now we're learning how to film music videos in the age of COVID. I promise you it is a challenge, um, but we are finding ways to do it. And I'm just really proud of the way people are adapting and working together while still emphasizing that our safety is important to one another. Erin, thanks so much. Thanks so much. That sounds really fun. And uh, Miriam, um, I wanted to ask the question about how, how are you pivoting to help support the organization? Because now that we can't do fundraisers in person, talk a little bit about that. Ooh, that's what keeps me up at night, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I really do. Just thinking about it. <laughs> but thank you for the question. Before I answer, I just want to say, Aaron, you are an inspiration. The arts absolutely save lives. Uh, arts are important in our work as well. And I like to emphasize in all of our buildings by providing beautiful, peaceful spaces for people to heal. So I just want to say thank you. Everything you said just really was inspiring to me. So now to get back to the, what the heck, how do you fundraise when you can't have a... So I think a lot of people might know we have three very successful events a year. We have our dinner auction that's just a whole lot of fun uh, called Glam. We have our luncheon and we have Rags Wearable Art Show, mm -hmm. uh, none of which can happen this year. 
the luncheon's not till May, so I'm still holding out hope, but I, I really inside know, know it's not going to happen. For one, we haven't even heard of the venue, which is the Bicentennial Pavilion is going to even reopen. So there's that. Um, but so, um, you know, the first thing we had to do was pivot our last luncheon because it was in May. And um, we just tried to keep things as simple as possible, putting our videos online, giving a, a, a time span when people could go and review the videos and just um, give us support. Mm -hmm. And we actually met our goal. Our goal for that was 140000 um, which was the net of the previous year's event that was in our budget. Um, but we did it with less donors. And so what concerns me from a fundraising perspective, and fundraising is what I absolutely love to do, um, is the sustainability of um, for agencies over time. Even if your online fundraisers are bringing in what you were hoping they will bring in, are they bringing it in? We analyze every dime we bring in. And if you're bringing it in with a lot less donors, so in other words, your big donors who really care about your work know it's tough and they're stepping up and giving more, but we're not getting those new donors because there's no event for people to bring them to. And so uh, that worries me over the longer term. And with our auction that's coming up in February, you know, I'm just starting to spark a little bit of excitement for it and realize it is what it is and I just have to make it work. Where up until about yesterday, I'm just like, could somebody just please drop a couple hundred thousand on us? Because that's our net in the budget for that event is 200,000. Like, you know, just a bequest, you know, that's unrestricted. Then I could sleep at night. That would be so nice. <laughs> but it's probably not going to happen. So I'm changing my attitude and I'm going to pick myself up and just make it the best we can make it. Aww. So, yeah, I wish I had a magic answer, but yeah. I, the magic fairy wand. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Aww. And you know, the other thing is, you know, everybody, I think there's a lot of your, a lot of our donors uh, for all of our agencies that are going to stick with us. I just don't know. I mean, how long I'm getting really tired of Zoom events already. And we got the whole at least rest of this year. So I just hope people realize we're doing the best we can. Yeah. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you. I know that you are. You're, you dig it out. That's right. Dig or die. It's an old volleyball sl slogan. <laughs> All right, Erin, your turn. How's it going for you with uh, fundraising for your organization? Well, I think, you know, fundraising is, it, I, I appreciate Miriam's point about finding new donors because we're a new organization. So our donor base is not huge yet. And so that is a unique challenge we have of being a an organization that's really just coming into its own and working through a pandemic. Um, but we have um, our first online event on November 14th. And we're I was up till 10 o'clock last night going through video, trying to put together because doing online events is a lot of work. I could do a, a live event actually in a lot of ways, or at least the program part um, faster than the online event. But I also like artistically want to make sure it's really good. So I know it's going to be an event that actually entertains. Um, I met with the editor prior to um and I was crying watching video. So that's that's a good sign. So I'm hoping that it's going to be a really special um, virtual event. But yeah, meeting new people is uh, new donors is challenging. So one of the things we're going to do with our event is really encourage Facebook watch parties so that our donor so that hopefully um, if if I were to host a party, hopefully my friends would then um, 
also say, hey, that's maybe a good organization or Miriam hosts it. And then her friends go, yeah, that was fun. Maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll uh, connect to that organization as well. So I think that's one of our key challenges um, as we're growing that. We've been uh, blessed with grants. The reason why we're alive this year is uh, because of grants. And we're just so grateful for um, foundations that have really stepped up and been so supportive of our mission. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I think we're, we're our biggest, again, we're just trying to meet the people who really care about this work and make sure that our sister organizations get through this too. So part of um, my hope is making sure that we're not the only arts organization at the end of this thing either too. So um, we all have to be working one another and um, I've really tried to adopt an abundance mindset that the money is all there. We just need to find the people who um, will be blessed by being able to give to our organization and to causes because frankly, there it's hard to do service right now. And so donations is one way in which we can get that feel good feeling from helping someone else um, if we can't maybe necessarily volunteer at a food bank or be in person, um, this is a really gr donations are one of those ways in which you can fill that personal need as a donor. Super. I'm going to, we're going to take a break for the sponsors now for about one minute. And when we come back, um, I'd like you each to respond to this question and that was there any surprises for you in terms of fundraising that, a source of funds that you never expected. So we'll be back in a minute. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. Words mean things. That's what Pacific Lutheran University challenges me and you to think about in our everyday speech. When I speak to you or a guest over the podcast, the words I choose have impact, either positive or negative. Words have history. And when we choose to use them, we have to own their meaning and their effect on the people listening. My language, my choice. PLU is asking us to go deep on words like anti-racist or decolonize, and to think about what those words truly mean. Then, once you understand them, let's talk about how you can put words into action. What can you do to live up to the word anti-racist? How can you decolonize your entertainment, or even how you introduce yourself? These are big questions. To get ideas on how to answer them, and to find questions about other important words, visit plu.edu slash words mean things to learn more. My sincere thanks to Pacific Lutheran University for sponsoring Channel 253 and for doing exactly what universities should be doing right now with this campaign. <laughs> All right, we're going to come back now to give me the mic, and I'm going to ask uh, Miriam to give us some ideas if there was a surprising source of uh, support that came to the YWCA Pierce County this year. So there actually uh, have been two um, that were not expected. Uh, one early on was from the Pierce County Connected Fund through the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation. Um, and that was an unrestricted amount of money that just helped us uh, end our fiscal year um, in the black. 
uh, we had spent a whole lot of money quickly to get everybody uh, out of the building and safe and pivot it and all the technology we had to um, provide. And it wasn't in our budget. And I've, it's the first time in my life I've made in 34 years of working in nonprofits where I've made a lot of decisions to spend a lot of money quickly without even going to my finance committee because I didn't have time. Um, and so I was very grateful in the end for that gift um, that uh, helped us end our year in the black, which we always have done. Um, but I was worried. And then um, we also were able to get a PPP, Payroll Protection Program, uh, funds from the federal government. And I, I do, in in all of my heart, feel that without that, I'm not sure we, we would have our doors open today. And we haven't had to lay off a single staff member as a result of that. So that has been something uh, we have now spent all those funds. And I'm just having my fingers crossed, there'll be another round available to get us through this fiscal year. But those are two that uh, without those two, um, we would be in a lot of hurt. Wow, thank you. That's wonderful news. Okay, Erin. Yeah, I think I, I have to list two as well. The first was um, Tacoma Creates, which was a tax that Tacoma citizens passed before this pandemic. And thank heavens, because honestly, it's probably singularly propping up the arts community because there's not nearly enough funds here. But um, those funds have been a huge um a huge blessing to both us and um, most arts and culture organizations in town. Um, I would also add uh, one of our uh, choir members nominated us for the BECU People to People Awards. And so we've um, received $15,000 and are going into a voting round for more money. And that's amazing. So hopefully people will vote for us and we'll get 40,000, which would be amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was an amazing uh, thing that happened for us. It really inspires people when they see the support, that, doesn't it, in yeah, the community? Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you both to comment on how the community can engage to support uh, your organizations during this uh, time of pandemic and with this future that is so unknowing. So can we start with you, Miriam, to find out how the community can be helpful? Yes, actually, thank you. Uh, well, the building behind me that you're looking at is uh, a building that is getting very close to completion. It is 54 units of housing for homeless families, um, currently homeless, um, that have views. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful building, studios to three bedrooms, and has part of that in um, uh, in the near future, it's almost ready. I'm uh, launching an adopt-a-room program so that when our clients move in in early spring, like every, so there's, you can adopt a kitchen, a bathroom, or a bedroom, and there's three different size of adoptions because some of them are studios and some of them are three bedrooms. If you have six kids, you need more toothbrushes than if you're living alone in a studio. So the list that uh, we've created um, are things we're asking people to adopt that room and buy, um, to adopt a, a bathroom, to adopt a kitchen or to adopt a bedroom. And that is very accessible for community members to feel like they are part of making a beautiful home for a family. And so I'm hoping people um, that we do know and that we don't know will all want to participate by contacting us and getting that list. 
and um, participating with their book group or their business or their church or whatever groups they want to put together to either adopt a room or just to adopt the apartment and get all three rooms. <laughs> um, so we have 54 units, uh, quite a lot of bedrooms, and I'm just hoping this is successful because, you know, when you think about being homeless, you, you know, or if you're not homeless, you might not think about how expensive it is to buy uh, just simple things to make a kitchen work from tile cleaner to pots and pans and silverware and plates. If you don't have those things, a kitchen isn't very useful to you. So we're hoping to get the community involved in a very accessible way to be part of this amazing project. So about when do you think that's gonna be happening? Well, I think we'll have our list ready. I'm just putting the final little finishes on them. Um, and I think we'll have them ready uh, by early next month. Ooh. So that's in a few days. Um, and then we are going to um, hope that people can kind of start bringing things in January, oh. but not before, because we're not um, going to have people moving into the space probably until March. And so also storage can be an issue right now. We're not uh, able to put things in the apartments yet. They're not finished out. So, um, but we'll be happy to get the list out there so people can start shopping. And we're also going to do Amazon wish lists. So if people just want to either donate the money it would cost to do uh, one of those rooms or just say, I would like a medium bathroom and everything will be already listed out. Mm -hmm. If we can make, if we can figure all that out, which I'm, I'm thinking we can. That is very clever and creative. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so Erin, how can the community support the refugee choir? Absolutely. I think, you know, we're still a young organization, so we're still, um, we're growing fast, though. We, I forgot to mention earlier, we have a music therapy class we're going to be offering in December um, that uh, we're really excited. It's a four-week class with um, Megumi Azakawa of Puget Sound Music Therapy, and we're hoping to offer more of those programs because um, in the future because we know there's a lot of healing needed in our community, and music is one of those great ways of processing what we've collectively gone through over the last seven months. Um, so we're excited about that opportunity, but we um, are, the Tacoma Refugee Choir is um, open to all. So people can come and join and sing with us. And we're looking at expanding a volunteer program in 2021 that we'll have more details about soon. Thank you. Excellent. All right. So, um, my last question, which I mentioned to you in, in my email, has to do with DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm going to be asking this question across the board in all the episodes because I think that it's an undercurrent right now in community. And, uh, you know, the news can be a little bit oppressive. And uh, I know that organizations are beginning to embrace this issue in a more constructive way. So I wanted to ask you guys about the work that your organizations are doing that are compatible with uh, the DEI work. Erin, uh, would you like to comment? Yeah, it's interesting because um, before the pandemic, we realized that we had some work to do in DEI. And so we had applied for funding and we're fortunate to get a grant um, to allow us to do strategic planning and leadership work specifically focused on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that work has um, profoundly shaped um, the direction that we're heading in the future. Uh, I, 
I had a lot of work to do. And I think uh, we've all recognized um, that that this has to un- be embedded in the very foundations of everything we do. Um, so I am really proud of the commitment our team has made. We have weekly meetings where we're talking through a glossary of words and we're developing a strategy that will allow these programs to um, be this education to go to our choir members, to the community um, and be a part of who we are. We have um, refugees on our team that are now working for the choir and um, we're really working to ensure that we're creating spaces where where people can express how they're feeling. And I think it's why our rehearsals are taking on a new tone because we have made some subtle shifts, I think, that make all the difference as to whether someone feels safe in sharing the challenges that they've gone through and feeling like their story is gonna matter to the people in that space. Um, So for me, at least, I think this is probably the most important work that we've done during the pandemic. Um, and uh, the pandemic's going to end, but racism will not, um, at least not in the near term. And uh, we, I think what's the silver lining, I suppose, of the pandemic is it's giving us an opportunity to reevaluate how we do everything and to embed the equity into every way that we rebuild, um, every way in which we heal, and making sure that the people who have long been excluded from these conversations are now um, at the center of everything we do. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's a really important thing uh, that we're doing in the within the choir. Uh, I wanted to comment here that when we did the Love Letters campaign, One of our choir members, uh, his name is Maurice, and he's been an immigrant to the United States for 19 years. And in the Love Letters um, video, he's extending his arms out and saying, I'm here for you, which is a reversal of what we assume, right? And I just thought that was such a loving uh, irony that he's reaching out to say, I'm here for you. I feel like I've seen that experience over and over from our choir members. I think my mistake early on with the choir was assuming that I was serving people when instead it's really that I have the opportunity to bring resources together so that we can work together, work Mm -hmm. with people in the community. And since we've uh, adjusted that mindset, it's been profound. I mean, just yesterday, one of our, um, Mexican choir members texted me saying, hey, I've got boxes of food. And I texted out people. And he said, he's all, thank you so much for working with me. And he was just so grateful that that people, that he wants to give. And I think so often we, this is someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of resources, but they want to make a difference in the community too. And how dare I think that I can make a bigger difference than anyone else in this community. We have to give voice to people who are ready to serve. And we, we hurt ourselves when we say that um, when we don't allow everyone to give back with their full potential. Thank you. Miriam, what's, uh, what's happening with the why? Yeah, so at the YWCA, um, actually for a number of years, we've had a racial and social justice committee that's uh, staff uh, attend on paid time. 
And um, so that committee uh, with Zoom is great because we continue to meet twice a month. Uh, what's different is I had a little light bulb go off in my head. I don't know why it took so long to actually establish the same committee amongst the board so that the board. Um, so we're working on a very measurable, very detailed racial justice plan for the agency. And the board has a section of that plan mm-hmm. and their committee, um, which when I asked for a committee, I got absolutely great enthusiasm and it's been fabulous and some of the things that the board has come up with the staff now wants to do too so that's been pretty great as far as um educational tools so we and on our shared drive we share all sorts of articles and podcasts and tools that people can do on their own time uh if you work at the ywca you um in addition to mandatory dei training that we do annually uh you have to do self-study on your own and turn that into hr um, so, um, so those are just some of the, uh, work we're doing in some of the work that we're doing internally. Um, right now I just applied for a grant yesterday and, um, if I don't get it, I'll just keep trying for another fund. We have a beautiful cement wall, retainer wall in the new parking lot across the street. And I see it has a beautiful canvas and I want to hire, my goal is to hire BIPOC artist. um, to do a mural on that wall that depicts, um, uh, BIPOC women who have been important to our local history. Um, And that just fits in beautifully with our focus of eliminating racism, empowering women. Mm -hmm. And then in the building, I want to have on the different floors, storyboards about those women so that the tenants in our building can read about women who are right here, who have been in our local, who have been, are, are in our local community, who are contributing to making Tacoma the wonderful place that it is. And then one other thing, we also have, and have had for quite a while, a white caucus and a BIPOC caucus that are also staff uh, driven um, and paid time to attend. So all of those different caucuses and the Racial and Social Justice Committee, they all, basically every once a week, we have one of those committees meeting. So we're putting uh, our staff resources and and our energy into this very important work as well. That's fantastic, wow. I'm really proud of both of these organizations for the work they're doing in DEI. Uh, I think it's uh, really critical right now and it's, it's going to be life changing. It's going to be community changing, you know, to create a safe, uh, safe community for people of all walks of life, no matter how long they've been in the United States. So um, do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about today? I would just like to talk about um, unintended positive consequences of COVID, who would think, right? So like, what are the blessings? And for us, you know, all of our programs, we were were a face-to-face, people-to-people program. And uh, when that had to pivot, and now that we can offer our legal services and our counseling, our therapy online, virtually, it removes another barrier of transportation. Mm -hmm. And more specifically with our therapists, if you're all of our programs are free. Um, and if you're seeing our therapist and you move out of state, like that is a trusted relationship you build over time. And it is not easy to then pick up and have to find another therapist mm-hmm. and start your story over again and build new relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And it may or may not even work. So the fact that our clients can now keep seeing our therapist yeah. for as long as they need and want is so beautiful and it makes me so, so happy. And not only 
either we wouldn't have thought about it because we hadn't thought about it, or we would have said, well, that's not in the budget. We don't have the resources for that. But since COVID and there's been some COVID money available, we've been able to obtain those resources and we'll continue to pay for them long after COVID so that we can offer another way to access our programs. So we'll be able to go back to face-to-face and I can't wait for that. Let me tell you, this building's way too quiet. But also still offer some of our services that work online, offer them online and remove yet another barrier for domestic violence victims and their families. Yeah. And just think about all those carbon credits. <laughs> yes, that too. Erin, <laughs> what, what yeah. would you like? Do you have anything yeah. you'd like to contribute in that regard? I think Miriam's spot on. I think it's very easy to think um, that things have been all negative during this pandemic. But I think that there are a lot of silver linings. Um, I think a lot of us are choosing what's important to us. I know for me, I, I've been a lifelong musician and I've never, I don't know that I've ever really appreciated what a gift it is to make music and to have, to be able to give someone a hug. And um, I think there's a, this month, as we enter the Thanksgiving season and these holidays, I am filled with so much more gratitude for uh, the things that I do have in my life. Um, the things that matter most Um but I think also it helps us to um, to set our priorities for the future. I know for me, like making music is going to remain really, really important to me because I know what it's like when that's not my life. And I think a lot of people in our community are realizing um, that the thing, you know, that music really our lives are so richly blessed and it's hard to put a value on that. Um but when we make music together, that's going to change that with that. Everything makes more sense. This pandemic has been harder because we don't have that opportunity. Um, and it's going to be a critical part of the healing that comes out of this. What's your long-term goal, Erin? My long-term goal is to see Tacoma, um, uh, identified as a singing city where we have the high, some of the highest per capita participation in singing activities in the country. And that means all of our sister organizations and our partners are going to need to work together to help people to connect with one another and to find their voice. And I know some people are saying, oh, I'm not a singer, but it's not about performance. It's about joining together and saying we're in this together, which I think has been the biggest takeaway from the pandemic. We are in this together. How about you, Miriam? Long-term goal? Oh, it's hard to think long-term right now, right? I just, <laughs> I'm so day-to-day just getting through each day. So uh, the, the short-term goal is to get our building open and to get it full of mm-hmm. families to, to start new lives and, um, and then just continue to work to make this the best community that anyone wants to and does live in. City, the city of Tacoma is remarkable mm-hmm. and I'm so proud to live here. And I want to continue to contribute to um, making this city, keeping the city the great city that it is. That's that's a good ending, actually. And, uh, you know, it is the city of destiny. And we should call it the city of destiny and resilience. Yes. <laughs> so. Absolutely. All right. Well, I just want to thank you both for your willingness to share this podcast with me today. And uh, Give Me the Mic has given us an opportunity to explore how you're pivoting in this environment with this pandemic and uh, your words are meaningful and I've really appreciated seeing your cheerful faces this morning. 
And I just want to say thank you to you both for your time. Thank you for doing this, Diane. We appreciate you. You bet. My pleasure. (laughs) Thanks, Doug. Behind the scenes. (laughs) All right. So go forth and be prosperous. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder Speed Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.